As the rector of St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, may I welcome you very warmly to this service. It's wonderful that so many of you are able to join our online services, which combine archive recordings of our choir and congregation with newly recorded readings, prayers and sermons. For this reason, we shall continue to broadcast these services each Sunday, even though we've now resumed our 11am choral Eucharist in St Bride's itself. Not all of you are able to join us in person for reasons of distance or because you need to take particular care of your health, but we know that you are very much with us in spirit. May the light and hope of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away.
be with you. It is a great delight to welcome you to St Bride's to our choral Eucharist on this, the last Sunday after Trinity, which we are marking as Bible Sunday. Wherever you are in the world, and however you're listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St Bride's family. We begin with our opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you. Pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness. And keep you in life eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, help us so to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is taken from the prophet Nehemiah, chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe, Ezra, stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattithiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Marseiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbanadah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord.
The epistle is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, beginning at the 12th verse. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. The story is told of a redoubtable and pious Victorian lady who, on hearing news that the Bible was in the process of being translated into Swahili, retorted with great indignation, If English was good enough for Jesus and the disciples, it should be good enough for them. The issue of biblical translation is both thorny and controversial. Indeed, for much of its history, the Bible has been regarded as such a dangerous book that the very idea that it might be made available in a language that people could understand was seen as a highly subversive notion that should be stamped out at all costs. In our assembly room, which is the other side of the wall to my left, hangs a portrait of the 16th century biblical translator and reformer William Tyndale, a highly educated scholar steeped in scripture and well respected for his integrity and righteous conduct. He was convinced that every Christian should be able to read the Bible in his or her own language. In his day, Such views put his life in danger. He was forced to flee to the continent to undertake his translation of the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek texts into English. Sadly, Tyndale's work was to cost him his life. He was executed for heresy in 1536. And yet his legacy most certainly lives on. Tyndale's biblical translation was drawn upon extensively by those who compiled the King James Version that we know today. We can so easily forget the price that was paid by previous generations of the faithful in giving us a text that today we so easily take for granted. The Bible is a highly complex collection of writings, including, amongst other things, stories, letters, poetry, historical writings and legal records, 
whose dates of authorship span more than a millennium. Cumulatively, its astonishingly diverse content provides us with a unique and authoritative testimony to the nature of God and the nature of God in Christ. It is a book of salvation. It is the book of salvation. If we treat it as anything less, we risk cutting ourselves off from its liberating power. But it is such a complicated ragbag of texts that those who are naive and misguided enough to think that you can simply open it up and expect to extract ready-made answers from it, as if it were a kind of celestial phone directory, not only ignore its true nature, but they actually risk trivialising it. They end up failing to appreciate the true nature and extent of its life-giving power. For example, significant problems can arise when people either fail to take seriously the historical context out of which the biblical texts emerged or don't understand the original function and purpose of some of its passages. Take slavery, for example. St Paul never questions the existence of slavery because for him it was simply a fact of life. It was part of the fabric of the society to which he belonged and so it never really occurred to him to question it as an institution. Slaves, obey your masters, he famously declared. But it would be quite wrong to argue as a result of that that God must therefore sanction slavery, as some certainly believed when they opposed the anti-slavery campaigns of the abolitionists. Another example. In the days when anaesthetics were being used for the first time in medical procedures, there was considerable opposition in some quarters to pregnant women being given pain relief when in labour on the grounds that, in the book of Genesis, God had ordained that women should suffer when giving birth as a punishment for the fall. So, it was argued, to give women anaesthetic in those circumstances would be to flout the divine will. In fact, that story in Genesis is what is technically known as an etiological tale. It functions in the same kind of way that Rudyard Kipling's Just So stories do, in providing an explanation for why something is as it is through the medium of story. For an ancient and pre-scientific society, the fact that childbirth was uniquely traumatic for human beings amongst members of the animal kingdom needed an explanation, and the story in Genesis provides one. But to deduce from a story of that kind that women should therefore be denied pain relief in labour is to draw a false and unnecessary conclusion from a story whose purpose was always intended to be explanatory rather than prescriptive. When I was teaching in a theological college, we used to run a couple of special theme weeks each year to look at a particular topic in depth across a range of disciplines, theologically, biblically, pastorally and ethically. And one year we held a course dedicated to exploring relationships, marriage and sexual ethics. 
When this course was announced, one of our more fundamentalist students stormed into my office, fulminating about the fact that we were holding a study week on that subject at all. You shouldn't be discussing themes like that, he complained. People just need to be told to abide by the biblical model of marriage. By which you mean what, exactly, I responded. Polygamy? Keeping concubines? He stopped in his tracks, turned rather white, opened his mouth to speak and then stormed out again. What concerns me most about biblical fundamentalists is not only that they are often highly selective in the text that they choose to quote and are sometimes simply wrong in their assumptions, but above all that, paradoxically, they fail to take scripture seriously. I live with scripture all the time, through the biblical passages that I read every morning as part of the daily office, and in the many, many texts that I have preached upon, usually on a weekly basis, for the past 35 years. The extraordinary thing is that, regardless of how often I preach on a biblical passage, I never fail to find new and deeper wisdom within it. I understand exactly why the Bible is described as the living word of God, because it really is alive. It really does continue to have a voice that speaks to us in new and different ways all the time, transcending culture, space and time. The Bible comes to life for us through our being in relationship with it. It is a text that we must explore, question and challenge, and in turn we must open ourselves up to its power and allow ourselves to be judged by and challenged by its word. That is how we discover its true depths and its true riches. Back in the 16th century, my great hero, the Elizabethan priest and theologian Richard Hooker, who was master of the Temple Church just down the road from here, wrote about why Christians should regard the Bible as authoritative. He rejected the view of the extreme Protestants of his day, a view that is shared by some of our more fundamentalist brethren even today, that the Bible is authoritative because it says it is. Hooker dismissed that kind of circular argument as absurd. It gets us nowhere. Instead, Hooker tells us, the authority of Scripture can be discovered in two stages. We begin by taking that authority on trust, knowing that Christians throughout the centuries have testified to that authority. In other words, we need to begin by suspending our disbelief and assuming that it is the case. But the really important stage comes next, which is when, through reading, studying and reflecting on its words, we discover the reality of that authority for ourselves. And that is the bit that matters, because that is the kind of authority that is utterly authentic, and because it is there that we encounter Scripture as the living, powerful Word of God that seizes us, that speaks to our lives and our life situations 
and touches our hearts with the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And that is a truth that really is timeless. As Jesus says in our Gospel reading today, even though heaven and earth may pass away, my words will not pass away. Recently, I've been reading a very wise little book by the American writer on spirituality, Marilyn McIntyre, entitled Word by Word. I shall leave you with what she says on the subject. One of the many purposes of reading scripture is to wander amongst its stories of human confusion, loss, discovery and triumph and see in all of them how the Spirit of God broods over the waters, how God speaks in dreams, calls the unlikeliest of people and sends angels in disguise. It seems to me that one of the primary purposes of these sacred texts is to offer us stories to live by, not only to provide moral guidance, but to complicate our oversimplified notions about success and failure, holiness and sinfulness, virtue and vice. Scripture reminds us repeatedly that we are none of us in a position to judge ourselves any more than we're in a position to judge others. We make the moral decision required of us with the best guidance available. Or sometimes we betray ourselves and others and do what we know is wrong. But even those betrayals may open a back door somewhere for the Spirit to enter and renew us with an invigorating forgiveness that plants seeds of change. The best lives are riddled with ambiguities and lined with shadows. Each of them is a story about grace, to tell our own stories as stories about grace rather than stories about success or failure is to tell them more truly. That truth can set us free. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end.
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray to God, by whose word we are taught to pray. Let us pray for the church throughout the world. For the church in this place, for Alison, our rector, and Jeff, our associate priest. We pray for the work of our PCC and synodical representatives. For our colleagues in the church office. Our prayers are asked especially today for the church in Wales and the church in Stavanger, for their bishops, priests and people. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you make us to be God's chosen people. We want you to help us to work in your name for the good of your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Let us pray for the nations of the world for those areas torn apart by war or natural or human-made disasters. We pray for this nation as many of us prepare for further lockdowns and for those who will be impacted economically. We pray for our government as they grapple with the virus and its effects. Lord Jesus Christ, make the glory of your word shine throughout the world be our support in times of trouble and our defence against hostility. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us pray for those who are ill or who have asked for our prayers, for those we know with long COVID, or those who are struggling with mental health issues at this time. We pray for their carers, and for all who work in our health service. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us pray for those who have died, giving thanks for their lives, for their time with us, for those who strove to live by the teachings of Scripture and whose longing for your word is now perfectly fulfilled. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this Bible Sunday, let us remember the Bible is your living word, given to us, to be shared, read aloud, and acted on through the worship of our lives. O Lord our God, we are your chosen ones. Always show us the way so that as we accomplish your work here on earth, we may stick to the narrow path that will lead us to the kingdom of heaven. As we say together, merciful Father, accept, accept these, these prayers, prayers for, for the, the sake, sake of, of thy Son, son our, our Saviour, Saviour Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and we share his peace. 
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this wine to offer, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever.
It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy, at all times and in all places, to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and singing.
Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood. Who, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of his kingdom, and with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies, 
We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Let us pray. God of all grace, your Son, Jesus Christ, fed the hungry with the bread of his life and the word of his kingdom. Renew your people with your heavenly grace and in all our weakness, sustain us by your true and living bread who is alive and reigns now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.
peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.